0: So last week we began this series called The Comparison Trap, and we're just talking about this incessant habit that we have of comparing ourselves uh, to people around us, and the core kind of statement for this entire series is that there is no win in comparison. Uh, Comparison is that I look to my left, I look to my right, I look on social media to determine how well I'm doing based on how well everyone else is doing, Uh, but there's no win in that. And we all do this, but there's no win in it, because as we said last week, there's always somebody out there with a bigger-er than us, all right? They are richer, they are skinnier, they are smarter, they're taller, they're prettier, they're fittier, fittier, (laughs) they're fitter, they're happier, they're hipper, they're handsome-er, they're more talented-er. I mean, there's always somebody who's got a bigger-er than we do. And every time you're around somebody with a big-er and you're comparing, you feel less than. And sometimes, sometimes it's motivating, but most of the time it's just depressing. It's just depressing because no matter what you accomplish or achieve or obtain, there's always somebody that's gonna have a bigger-er. And we've also said that there are people with less-er than you and less-er than me, right? They're just not quite as wealthy or they're not quite as fit or they're just not quite as talented or tall or whatever. And then you begin to think that you're something and that you're superior and you're just, if you're self-aware, especially if you're a Christian, there's something in you that says, you know, I shouldn't feel that way. I shouldn't feel superior to other people. What's wrong with me? And then there are a few of you, you know, you're type A or now you're armed with an Enneagram number. You're a three or a seven or an eight on the Enneagram. Uh, and, And many of you yesterday at our workshop, you learned, you don't want to just be an er, you want to be est okay, you want to be the richest, the smartest, the fittest, the prettiest, the skinniest, the successfulest, and just when you think you've got there, then you meet somebody with a bigger er, right, and then you start getting older, and as you're getting older, you can't keep up with those that are younger, and there's just absolutely no win in comparison, there is no finish line, there's no sense of satisfaction, no sense of peace that lasts, it just creates angst and frustration, so the question that we're dealing with is, what do, we, what do we do about that? And what's the solution? As we said last week, we, we ended with this question, and it really serves as the hinge point for the entire discussion, and that is, who or what am I going to use as my reference point to know that I'm okay? Well, who? Because who? every one of you, all of us, we're looking to someone or something to tell us that we're Okay, that we are acceptable because it's in you to want to feel okay, to feel competent, to feel successful. It's in all of us to want to feel desirable, to feel lovable, and you want to be acceptable and to belong. It's in you for you to want people to look at you and to say, hey, you're important or you're, you're worth. You know, you're, you have worth. You're worth looking up to. You're worth respecting. You're worth admiring or following. Uh, you're desirable. I, I want a relationship with someone like you. I want to work for you, or I would hire you in a second. All of us want to know that we're doing okay, but the question is who or what do we look to to determine that we're doing all right? In other words, who is your mirror? Who or what is your mirror? Because all, all of us are looking at some sort of mirror to determine how we're doing. For, for many of you, it's more. It's more than one thing. For some of you, it's just one. For some of you, it's just that one person in your life. Maybe it's somebody, it's uh, in your field of business. Maybe it's in your job role. Maybe it's in your industry. Uh, There's somebody that comes to mind and you just always feel like you're competing with someone else and you just long for recognition because you wanna know that you are measuring up to whoever they are or whatever they are. Maybe it's your in-law who never has anything nice to say to you and you're just trying to negotiate around that relationship. It might be your dad. It might be your parents. It it might be your GPA. It might be the the program that you get into in school or the school you get into. Maybe it's uh, your husband or your wife, and you're just desperate for one positive word from them. And all of us have one or more things or people that we kind of look to to tell us that we're doing okay. What or who is that for you? because from a very early age, there's this whisper. There's this whisper in the back of our minds that just wonders, am I okay? Do, do I measure up? A- am I good enough? Will, will he or she always love me? Will he or she always accept me? Accept all of me? I mean, and in fact, some of us, if we're honest, and, and, and I'm one of these people, I'm one of those people that's wrestled with this, but some of us, we live with this fear to the point that it causes us to keep people at an arm's distance. And our nature, our natural reaction is to keep people at an arm's distance because this is what we think. If I let you get too close to me, you and you see the real me, you won't like what you see. If I let you get close enough to me and you see the real me, you won't like what you see. You'll walk away eventually. You will reject me. And all of us just live wondering. Am I accepted? I wonder if I'm okay. It's it's why we as a community, again, we've recently leaned into the Enneagram, learning about and identifying who we are in our truest selves versus all the ways that we've adapted ourselves to the environments and the people around us in such a way to try and protect ourselves, to protect ourselves from hurt, to protect ourselves from rejection And we work to be protected and accepted. And the great thing is that Christianity and Jesus offers an explanation not only of where that whisper comes from, of am I okay, but it offers us a solution as to who or what we should look to to figure out how we're doing. So, if you're a Christian, this may be new inform, uh, old information in a new context, but if you consider yourself spiritual and not really a Christian, what you need to know, you're not alone because we have a lot that are part of the New Life community that would describe themselves as that. But I just want you to listen with an open mind because at some point in your life in your, or in your past or currently or in the future, you're going to look around and you're going to wonder do I measure up? How am I doing? How am I doing? It, it's just going to happen. And this approach to life that we call Christianity, which may for some of you have been misrepresented in a way that's so irrelevant. It's just nothing about more than just about going to heaven at uh, some point in the future. You, know, you just need to know there's so much more to that. And this is some of that, a glimpse into that so much more. So if you have a Bible, if you want to follow along or a Bible app, uh, I want to read a few verses out of Galatians. Galatians is actually an ancient letter written by the Apostle Paul who wrote about half of the New Testament through his letters. In this letter he's writing to first century Christians in about 20 to 25 years after Jesus rose from the dead. So Paul was a friend of eyewitnesses to the resurrection. Paul had his own interaction with Jesus. uh, So he knew people that knew Jesus and Paul had a unique insight into the significance of uh, significance of Christ's death on the cross and the ramification on our lives of his death and his resurrection, not just for Jews, but for people all over the world. And so he speaks of that significance. And in doing so, he addresses the issue of what or who I'm to look to uh, to discover that I'm okay, to answer the question, how am I doing? And he gives us this huge clue of how to break free and break out of the comparison trap. Here's what he says in Galatians 4, 4 4-5. But when the set time had fully come, meaning that when God was ready, when things were just right the way he needed them to be, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Now what this means is, when you and I were born, whether we knew it or not, whether you know it or not, you and I were born accountable to the law of God. And uh, aspects of it are revealed in the Old and in the New Testament. Uh, But even more than that, the law of God that is written on your heart. So it doesn't matter who you are, how old or young you are single, married, Christian, agnostic there's something in you and there's something in me that from time to time uh, we, we bump into this thing where internally we think, I ought to, or I ought not, or people should always, or men should never, or women should never. And there's this universal sense of ought that manifests itself in you and the people around you. People, you've, uh, people that experience this and maybe you've never never ask the question, like, where does that come from? Like, well, like, where does that come from? Maybe it's just because I'm American or from the West, or maybe it's because of how I was raised. But Scripture teaches that in life, eventually, you begin to realize there's this, this ought and this ought not in me, and this is a glimpse of the law of God written on your heart. And we bumped into this a little bit last week when I asked you if you've ever secretly celebrated uh, somebody else's failure, you know that there's somebody that uh, you know. You hear some ba- some bad stuff that is happening in their life. Someone you know, maybe a former coworker, maybe a former boss, maybe a friend or a family member, maybe an ex, and or whatever. And on the outside, you're going like, oh, or in your text, like, "Wow, that's just so sad." But on the inside, you're just feeling a tinge of pleasure. It's kind of like finally, finally, and then you like, "Whoa, where'd that come? That was that was ugly." Or maybe it's a friend of yours and they just, they've got this perfect life and a perfect spouse with perfect kids and their teeth are white and their car's never dirty and they just have these perfect lives and one of them, you know, or somebody calls you and they're talking about how, hey, they're, they're having a little bump in their marriage or something up with, is up with one of their perfect kids. And again, on the phone or in the text, like, oh, that's so sad. But on the inside, you're going, finally, and you feel better about yourself because of their failure. It's like, what, what is that? Where'd that come from? It, it wasn't even a decision you made. It was just like suddenly you experienced this and it's something inside of you bubbled up. And it's like, I don't care what you believe about God. You go, ooh, that, that's kind of ugly. Like, I hope nobody ever sees that side of me. Do you know what happened? Well, something that is true of you ended up getting mirrored up against the law of God written on your heart. And you recognize that there's something in you, like, I, I don't like that, but it, it's in you. Because there's enough of the law of God in your heart and in mine that we just know there's something wrong with myself. And we just know that. That's why whenever anybody, any of us ever say, well, I'm just not perfect. What we are saying without realizing what we're saying is that there is is a perfect. And I'm not it. So we recognize that there's something wrong with us. And so there's just something not right with us. And we end up, we just... uh, uh, we defend it, and we cover it up, and again, we get armed with a personality type and a label, an Enneagram number, and go, well, I'm just an 8 or a 7 or a 3, and it's just, it's just the way that I am, and we put makeup on, and we exercise a lot, and we learn to be nice and be polite, but at the end of the day, we know something's not right with me, and we try to figure out what to do about it, and here's what we do. We look to the left, and we look to the right, and we try to fix ourselves by comparing ourselves to other people. Well, if I can just be like them or be better than them, and we think if I ever have this or if I ever do this, if I ever accomplish this, if I ever get his or her approval, if I just project myself in this way and get enough people to look at me and think well enough of me that I'll begin to feel all right about me. And it'll fix whatever it is inside me that I I know is broken. And we look around at people, we think everything is right with them, and then we try to be like them or to get what they have. But eventually, eventually, every adult bumps into this reality that the people, the people we think are so all right, they don't think they're all right. The people who have accomplished more than we will ever accomplish, who look better than we are ever going to look when you deep, dig deep down beneath the surface or they end up having a breakdown or they're finally honest or they get caught and then it just gets out. We realize they have the same problem that you do, and that I do. That even though they have more stuff, they have the same struggle. That even though they look better, they're more popular, they have all of this, they have the same struggle. And then we begin to realize this truth that no matter what you have, who you know, how popular or how famous you are, how rich you are, how well ki- your kids behave, where they go to school, how white your teeth are, it just doesn't matter. At the end of the day, every single person wonders Am I okay? If I and if you had fill in the blank, whatever it is, if I had better kids or I had a better husband or a better wife, if I had a husband, if I had a wife, if if I had a better job, a better career, more fame, more position, what whatever it is, I, I don't care. If you think whatever if I just had more of, you need to know, even if you got it, you would still wonder. And the Apostle Paul, he goes to the root of the problem. Because the reason no acquisition will ever be big enough, no relationship ever strong enough to erase that, is because of this thing, this this issue, that when you and I were born, you and I were born into a broken relationship with our Creator. And, and because of that break that between the Creator and the creation, there's this insecurity inside of you and inside of me and just inside of humanity that goes to the very core of our souls. Am I okay? And, and that's why no matter what we have or what we do or what we know or who we know, where we've been, there's just a time and a stage in our lives, maybe throughout our lives, that we just, we just wonder. It's why the most successful people that you know or you read about or you, you see, they just seem to still be so driven. Even though they're going to, they've already accomplished more than you're ever going to accomplish. It just never seems to be enough. And, and you think, man, if I had what they had, if I would gotten to that point, if I was married to whoever it is that they're married to, if, if my kids turned out as good as their kids, I, I would just be fine. I would just be fine. But it's because you don't understand. It's because you don't understand the depth of the brokenness between you and God, our Creator. There's an insecurity in you and me that no thing, no body, no acquisition, no accomplishment can ever fully restore or heal. The Apostle Paul he says, but when the time was fully set, or had uh, set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might, and this is so important, receive adoption to sonship. So this is huge. See, and I, I feel like so many of us, our tendency is to look at God and that relationship is more transactional, and he's kind of just our boss that we go to. But God sent his son into the world to redeem the world. It, to, to redeem, is, it's, it's a financial term. It, it's to buy back, to win back, to regain whatever it was that you were separated from or what has been lost. It's a transactional. It's not very emotional or inspirational. But, but Paul says that God wasn't simply doing something to, to simply say, uh, okay, you're forgiven of your sin, and so here's a card. Show this at the gate on a certain day in the future. You get to go to heaven when you die. It's bigger. It's better than that. I mean, what what God did when He sent in His Son into the world is to is He made it possible for you and I to be adopted into sonship, and into daughtership. Now, see again, we we don't really get how extraordinary this is. What is extraordinary about this is uh, the ancient Jewish people; they actually had no word for adoption. Uh, and, and, and there's no word for adoption in the ancient Hebrew text because you, you didn't adopt. There wasn't even a process of adoption. So the Apostle Paul, he dips into the Greco-Roman culture, and these are the people that he's writing to. His readers are familiar with this. So when he said adoption, what you also need to know, what came to their mind was not babies because you did not adopt the babies. Okay, like nobody adopted babies. Why? Because babies died. In in fact, in Greco-Roman culture, they didn't even name their babies until they finally got to the point that they're like, all right, this kid's going to survive, let's go ahead and name it. Like, they they just didn't. That was their attitude. But adults, adults were adopted all the time. It would not be unusual for some, like, if you were just somebody that you showed character and a work ethic or whatever, and a family saw you, like, oh, we're impressed with that person. You get a letter one day, it's like, hey, good news, you've been adopted. Like, it's just, like, you didn't even have, like, there wasn't even a process. Like, you just, you are because, like, I want you, because, again, in that culture, uh, women, for example, they couldn't inherit anything. You couldn't leave anything, so you had to leave it uh, to, to somebody you would adopt and make a, a son so that you could leave it to somebody you felt like would handle your estate well after you were died and bring glory to the estate. So God's made it possible for you to be adopted into his family, to become his child. So, and it's not just that you're forgiven so that you get to go to heaven. It's far more relational than that, that you've been irrevocably invited to become a child of your Creator. And, and, and so in other words, when the readers read this, when Paul wrote this, his audience read, so, so the God who knows me as an adult, okay, not some cute little cuddly pudgy baby, okay, he knows me as an adult with my sin, my junk, my failure, my my past, that God who knows everything good, bad, and completely ugly about me has made it possible and wants to adopt me in spite of all that. And again, not so that I just go go to heaven when I die, so that I can be a child, of His, of my Creator. This creation-creator relationship that was broken, Jesus, through Jesus, has been restored, which is why Jesus introduced us to this idea that when we pray, that we should refer to God as in the most intimate terms that was in the Hebrew language or in the, in the Greek language of our Heavenly Father not the flawed, broken version of father that comes to our minds because none of our dads were perfect. I was not perfect as a dad. I was flawed and broken, and that's what we think too. But no, no, no. Again, going back to that idea of, you know, I'm not perfect, so there's a perfect. God is the perfection of father. Everything good that a father should be. And then he says this, because you are his son's and daughters. God sent the Spirit of His Son, Jesus, into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, and and He he, he puts these terms, it's an Aramaic and a Greek term together, Abba, Father. Now see, Abba was, it's not just a 70s weird, you know, group with bell-bottoms. Jesus, when He was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, He used this little Aramaic term, Abba. It is so relational. It's so relational and emotional and intimate that in the Greek language, again, there was no equivalent there's no equivalent. The, the closest that the Greek language had to offer was a term that just means father. But Jesus and Paul, they, they realized the term father, it's still too formal. It's like, it's, it, the big joke is my third son, like anytime he, we talk or I answer the phone or whatever, like, he's like, hello, father. You know, and it's just, it's, but it's, you know, but for us, it's fun. It's formal. But in this, years ago, when I, when I learned what this really meant years ago, the term actually made me really uncomfortable because it literally means dad or daddy. And for most of us, when we think of God, like, like, like it's just, it's like, I I can't reconcile. I can't think of God as my dad or my daddy. And, but Paul says, that's my point, that this hasn't been just some sort of transaction where you're forgiven, you get a certificate, go to heaven when you die. It's, It's better than that. It's far more personal than that. It is that you have been adopted into God's family, and God is now not just your father, but your dad. Now, just sit in that for a second. What if that idea could move from the words on a page or a screen into your head and your heart? This morning, as recent as this morning, like I, I did it. Just started my prayer I'm out in the dark in my living room, and it's quiet, just dad. It completely changes the dynamic of your prayer life. Because you're not approaching Father, Mighty One, Mighty God. You are. But even just starting your prayer with that simple term, and like just saying it and then sitting in a moment, Dad. Because all of us know, like if you go to your dad with something, you know, for those of us that have dads that are still around or have had good dads, like it's just a totally different di- dynamic. And imagine if that, that really got inside of you, what would happen in you. And then let me ask this, who do perfect parents compare their children to? I, I, I mean, I've seen parents that aren't perfect, we're just, none of us are, okay, but, uh, and, and, uh, but I've seen a lot of imperfect parents, but I think they're pretty good parents, and, they, and they've got a baby, and the baby, the baby is not cute. okay. <laughs> None of the new life babies, okay? So, none of y'all, I'm not talking about your babies, I'm talking about other people's babies, okay? And all our babies are cute. But uh, there's not even an average parent that holds a not so cute baby and goes, you know, I kind of wish she looked like so and so, this baby. You know, I mean, our baby's cute. I guess it's all right. I mean, no, like no, nobody does that. In fact, if parents compare their kids to other kids, you don't think there's something wrong with a kid. You think there's something wrong with the parent because no parent does that. And again, I ask the question, who do perfect parents compare their children to? And the answer is nobody. So let me ask you this. Who does your heavenly Father compare you to? Your brother, your sister, your coworker, your mom, your dad, your friend, me. I mean, listen, as long as Christianity is just nothing more than heaven when you die, as long as Christianity is nothing more to you to make your life better and make you better at life, which is true. I say it all the time around here. All our partner churches say it. But if, but if, all, if that's all it is, it's still keeping God, your dad, at an arm's distance, at arm's length. But what if, what if God really sent his son into the world not just to redeem you, but to set the stage and do the transactional piece that had because he ultimately wanted to adopt you. Knowing everything there was to know about you, past, present, and future. To make you a son or a daughter to the point where you could refer to him in the most intimate of terms, dad. I remember years ago, I've shared this story and uh, I'll probably get emotional every time, but uh, witnessed my oldest son Uh, When we were on a black diamond, have a really, really bad ski accident uh, where he was unconscious and bleeding and going lifeless down the mountain, I thought he was dead. And then racing to get to him and when I got to him, again, just bruise and blood and he's unconscious, I thought he was dead. And sat there, um, got his head in my lap and he started to come to and here's this 13, 14-year-old, you know, and you're kind of curmudgeoning at that age, and the first word out of his mouth with his eyes still closed was daddy. Imagine if you could grasp that's the relationship that God has invited you into, that you would be on those intimate terms with him. What if at whatever age you put your faith in Christ, what if the Apostle Paul and Jesus was right? That from God's perspective, you are his son or his daughter, and he is your dad. So let me ask you this question. And I know you guys are not really, most of you, not very expressive. But I just want you to answer with the two, two words out loud. Because if this ever gets to your heart, it may change everything about you and in you and around you. Who does your heavenly Father compare you to? No one is the answer. Who does your Heavenly Father compare you to? Who does your Heavenly Father compare you to? Who? No one. So I'll ask another question, you don't have to answer it out loud, but you'll know the answer. Whose estimation of you should, whose estimation of you should you believe? Yours or your Heavenly Dad? If you raise a son or a daughter, then you know what it's like, and I've experienced this, where you just have these moments where you're, you've just desperately thought, oh my gosh, if you could see you through my eyes, just if you could see you the way I see you, honey, if you would quit looking at her or looking at him, uh, what a difference it would make. Just look, at, look to me. Just whose estimation of you should you use when it comes to evaluating you? Yours? The people around you, the people on television or in the movies or on every social media app who have been airbrushed and filtered and retakes and they project this image of how perfect and fun and carefree their life is. Whose estimation of you should you embrace, yours or your Heavenly Father's? See, as long as you're looking to your left or to your right, you will never be at any, have any peace because you're never going to catch up. You're never going to get ahead with whoever it is that you're trying to catch up with. And then you get older, and then age and gravity. Just saying. It's happening. Okay, you're going to get older. You're going to fall even more behind. But what if you began? What if you began every day with when you're tempted to go, you know, I, I wish I was as smart as whoever it is, fill in the blank, I wish I was as as successful as, I wish I was as cute as, or as skinny as, or handsome as, or as tall as, if only, if only, if only I was whatever it is that they are that you're comparing yourself to. And if you think, if I was whatever, then I would be happy. Or for those of you that have taken the opportunity, uh, again, to dig into the personality types, like one of the things that I, I experienced yesterday, like just to be honest, like, when we really dug into my particular type, like, I kind of hate it. I don't like it. And I'm listening to these other types, like, oh my gosh, I wish I was more like, I wish I was more like, and see, it, like, it just happens. It's just, it's just our human nature, and I wasn't alone. It just happens again, and this, this is the pull for all of us, but what if, what if we just stopped ourselves and said, no, no, there's no win in comparison, yeah, I, I might be inspired and motivated. So, for example, I've, I've shared with our community that, this especially this past year, before I lead our church really into much of anything, I want to make sure I've got it kind of figured out and a grip on it in my own life. Uh, is for specifically when it deals with like social justice and racial issues. And so, one of the things that I've been doing is I've been I've been meeting with leaders in Wichita. Uh, a couple I've met with a couple of Black leaders here in Wichita in the last two weeks. One of them was. Uh, uh, Dr. Don, this last week, he leads to me in World Impact, and I'm with this guy, uh, super smart. He's got his Ph.D. in religion, and the, but the thing was, I, I was like, like, like I, I feel like I, I love people no matter who they are or what they're at, but, but this guy loves people. Like It doesn't matter what your walk, your financial status, if you're a little bit crazy or sane, whatever, it's like, like you are someone that Jesus died for. And that's how I'm going to treat you. And like he, it just oozes out of him. But rather than feel threatened or less than, I'm like, I want to spend more time with him. Like I want that. To, I want him to rub off on me. Or right, I've met with another great black leader. This he's a pastor of the Mending Place. He and his wife co-pastor here in Wichita. Just a great guy. He's like a retired sheriff. He's a black man and a pastor. Incredible perspective, like on this subject matter. And as I'm listening to him and laughing with him and and, and, and just very naturally connecting, I'm listening. I'm like, oh. Like, this is a guy, like, I want him rubbing off on me, like, these strengths. And what an amazing thing when you can get to a place where, instead of feeling threatened, you actually can feel inspired and motivated. It's just a great thing. But may we all pray, Heavenly Father, Dad, Daddy, Dad, help me see. Help me take my cue from you, because to see me the way you see me, oh, because I think God would say, listen, you're fine you're fine because you're mine. I'm not finished with you yet. Okay, in some ways, you're still kind of like a toddler, a big baby, that's the person next to you. Uh, You're like a a young adult. There's still more to learn. I mean, there's always room to grow and improve and mature and do better, but you need to know my love isn't conditioned on any of that. I just love you. I love you just the way that you are, but I'm not going to leave you the way that you are because I love you too much because you're a child and you've got some growing to do, some development to do, some changing and maturing to do. And I'm going to help you change all of that from the inside out. But, it, but you need to know it doesn't matter. You're mine. You're heavenly, perfect, trustworthy. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. My promise, my covenant, my devotion to you is forever. God says it doesn't matter how many times you succeed or how many times you fail or how badly. I am with you. I am for you. So you focus on me. You look right here. You look right here for your affirmation and for your approval. And I, I'm going to do things in you. I'm going to do things in through you. This isn't just about, you know, be passive and you do nothing. I mean, no, I'm your heavenly father. I see so much potential in you. And I put that in you. And I want to help draw that out of you. And, I, and God has a plan for your life. He has a will for your life. And the great thing about embracing this perspective is, again, you can wake up in the morning and go, Dad loves me. So today, Dad, with your help and to the best of my ability, I'm going, to, I'm going to work to be in the center of your will. And then you get to lay your head on your pillow at night and go, God, to the best of my ability and with your help, I live today and will hopefully live tomorrow in the center of your will as, Dad, you love me, and I want this because you love me. Now doing me and through me all that you want, but I'm not going to fall in the trap of comparing myself to other people around me because I belong to you and I'm okay because of that. Now again, imagine, imagine how much peace would come to your heart and mind if that could really take root in your heart, in your mind, your life, your relationships. If you could just grasp that, 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 God, that God doesn't compare you to anybody else and he wants you to quit doing that as well. And he's not done with you, but he's fine with you. And as you think about the balance between your professional life and your personal life and uh, your health and maximum accomplishment and maximum success, however you define success, you need to know it's all going to be found in the center of God's will for you. That's why it's foolish to look to the left or the right because God doesn't. God says, I love you, I, I love you. So if you want approval, you, you look right here. You look at me. I am for you. I see you. I see you as my son. I see you as my daughter. See me as your dad. Yeah, there's still a lot to do and grow and mature, but we'll get there one step at a time. But don't make the mistake of spending the rest of your life comparing yourself to people around you. Paul would say, Jesus would say, you need to take your cue about you from the one who made you, loves you, and redeems you. The wisest guy who ever lived other than Jesus, Solomon, said a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. In other words, as long as you're comparing yourself, it doesn't matter what you have, what you accomplish, who you know, you're going to never have peace. I remember uh, when my boys were growing up from a young age, something I would say to them often was like, hey, you know, I, I never had a brother, but if I had had a brother, I would have wanted him to be just like you. And all four of our kids are totally different, personality and gifts and strengths. Or I, I would say to them, uh, you know, if, if, if I could have handpicked my son, I still would have picked you. Out of all the boys, anywhere, ever, I would have picked you. Now, did I say those things because I was such a smart dad? No, I was a dumb dad. I was just doing the best that I could like every other dad. But I think it was a reflection. I think it was a reflection of the heart of my heavenly father. And we all know the extraordinary power of an earthly father's approval. Can you imagine the power of truly realizing and basking in your heavenly father's approval of you and quit comparing yourself to others? and people around you, what they've done and have and where they've been and what they've done with their lives and where they've vacationed and what their kids are doing or what their husband or wife is like or looks like or has accomplished. And instead, every time you begin to go that direction, you catch yourself, no, no, no. There's no win in comparison. And my greatest potential is found within the will of my my heavenly father, my dad. The perfection of dad. And you know what you'll find? You'll find what you're looking for. Peace. You'll find what you're looking for is, you and I, our tendency is to try and outrun and outpace and outearn earn and, and look better and outweight loss and whatever everybody else, you find peace. Peace when you do well, peace when you fail, peace when you win, peace when you lose, peace when you make the cut, peace when you don't, peace when the scale says, way to go, peace when the scale says, you had too many tacos this week, whatever it is, you're going to find Peace but you'll never find peace anywhere but in the eyes of your heavenly father who's invited you to refer to him as dad because his estimation of you is more important than everyone else's combined. So don't miss next Sunday. We're gonna come back to this next week. We're gonna dig in this a little bit longer, but as we end today, let me just pray for us. Father, uh, I thank you so much that we have these words of Jesus and of Paul and all the others that we can lean into that the mirror that you've allowed us to set before us is you. And God, I, I pray for everyone listening to my voice because we all battle this. And I pray, God, that you, by your spirit, Jesus said that when he left, that, that he would send a helper, his spirit. And Father, there's just times we don't really know and understand how that works, but I pray for your spirit to work in every one of our hearts and our minds. to to drill this in because, Father, in some ways it seems too good to be true and hard to believe. So you're going to have to help us with this or it's just not going to happen. So I pray for every one of us. I pray for those that, Father, they've experienced significant wounds in their life from abandonment to abuse to the loss of a loved one way too young. And I pray that you would fill that gap in an unmistakable way to bring them to that place of security and peace that we so desperately long for. It's in the name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.